Amen. Thank you, musicians. Great music this morning. We want to turn in our Bibles to several passages of Scripture, and I think just the Ephesians passage is going to jump on the screen, and that's fine because I'll walk you through the rest of it. I wrote in the bulletin uh, in my article that, Lord willing, in January we're going to launch a new degree at our Bible college in Zambia, a one-time, one cohort of guys that are going to be leading that school and ministry in Zambia for years to come. Uh, and uh, the best scenario and of all things considered, the most rational thing is for us to have an in-house master's degree for uh, this group. And so we'll begin. And uh, it has the, the top student in the second group, the third group, the fourth group, the fifth group, and the seventh group, sixth group and seventh group, and another guy. Uh, so it's the best of the best, uh, Gideon Justin type guys, exceptional individuals that we want to train to the top level we possibly can. And uh, Lord willing, uh, I'm going to take them to Israel for a week to study the life of Christ in the land of Jesus and take them to London to study the Reformation in the land of the English Reformation. Uh, so uh, all that can be done for less than it would cost for us to do anything else bought at another location retail. So that's what we're planning to do. Jerry Ray is planning to go. Uh, Jared's going to go a couple of times. Uh, Benji Lloyd, most of you would remember Benji. Benji's going to go a couple of times. Um, Mark Baines is going a couple of times. So we got a great team of people largely rooted here. Uh, Dave Parker, I'm hoping, is going to go. He's invited. But uh, a couple others mixed in with that. It's going to be a great program. And we're going to start, Lord willing, with all of that under the accreditation of Zambia in January. And I'm really excited about it and looking forward to that. Now, if all that happens, uh, I'll teach the first course in January on the subject of family life. I'm going to get to teach several different things of things that are really important to me. But that one is especially important. And I used to teach that at the Bible College uh, way back. Uh, but I'm looking forward to working through that with these guys. Several of them are married, a couple of them are getting married, and one's just a young guy, just graduating. Uh, but this subject is of tremendous importance to me personally and to all of us, just as the Lord's people. I thought back 30-something years ago, enrolling at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago uh, for the doctoral program there, and at that time, Trinity didn't have tracks. You had to take certain courses that were required for everybody. And then you just kind of took what you wanted to take. Uh, now you have tracks that so you're in preaching or counseling and, and that kind of thing. So I invented my own track. I said, I'm gonna, I want to do mine in family life. There's no family life track, but I'm going to invent my own. So there was a counseling course. And so I built the counseling around marriage and family counseling. You had to do a, a practical project with each course had an ethics course, so I did my follow-up project and paper for that course on the marriage, divorce, and remarriage issue. Uh, this uh, finance course, and I did that on family finances. So I created my own track and then did the major paper and project around working with families at Millen Baptist Church and family life issues. And I chose that because of the overwhelming importance of the issue. 30-something years ago. I 
can't believe it's been that long. Nathan and Andrew were little guys scurrying around our house, about the ages of our grandsons now. And Peter would come along during that time frame. Uh, but I saw family life at my, at my feet. It was there uh, 24-7. And I saw the great issues of, we had a lot of young families at Millen Baptist then, had a baby dedication one Sunday with 18 kids. Uh, it was a happening time for that crowd. And, uh, but I watched all that and listening to Focus on the Family every day and watching the American culture. And I said, we will win or lose our culture with what we do as the church of Jesus in terms of family life. And that is even more true now than it was then. What we do as the Lord's people with these topics is of immeasurable significance. Now, I know that not everybody here is young and married with a couple of kids and dealing with all these topics and all. Uh, some of you are seniors and some of you are single again and some of you are single uh, for now and some of you are single with a commitment to that. Uh, let me say to, to single folks, when we go into family topics you're very much a part of what we're talking about here because the church collectively owns what the Bible has to say about family life. Uh, the churches, the American churches especially, would not operate without the single people that are committed to honoring Christ while single. Uh, but the church collectively owns the doctrines of Scripture that deal with family life issues, and together we will stand for that and, and present that in a, in a loving way to our culture, and that's our best shot at saving Western culture. I don't want to overstate the case, but I don't want to understate it either. It's a really big deal. Now, I want to begin where I expect to begin in January, some more, probably the first night I get there, we will sit down with that small cohort of guys and start right where we're going to start right now in Genesis, Matthew, and Ephesians. And I want you to see why. And the verse from Ephesians, it's our centerpiece, 531 this morning, has teaching before and after it that has to do with marriage. And then in Ephesians 6, it, it drifts into parenting issues. It's Paul's best shot at the topic. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 is a tremendous passage on family life and Christian singles and remarriage. And, and a lot of topics are thrown into that long chapter. And Paul gives us another good chapter, a little short burst of scripture in Colossians. But Ephesians 5 and early chapter 6 is Paul's main teaching about family life to the Christian church. So I want to, I'm reviewing my notes. Get, I'm thinking ahead to January. I'm reviewing my notes, so I want you to help me review. And we're going to start with this this morning. But to get to Ephesians 5, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2 first. And Genesis, uh, I take uh, to be one of the books of Moses. I take it to have Mosaic authorship. Moses writing about these events well after they happened, but Moses, the giver of the Ten Commandments, well, the, the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, but he's the, the channel, uh, the teacher of the law, the leader of the great Exodus, 
who wrestled with lots of family life issues in the nation in those days, writes for us this remarkable book of Genesis. And it is remarkable. I love the book of Genesis. It is part of scripture. It is part of the true message of scripture. And chapter one is this broad picture of creation. And chapter two repeats creation and a narrower focus, a, a smaller picture. And it's in that setting in Genesis 2:20, if you want to follow along in your own Bible. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. And the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now, I don't know how that worked. I don't know how he did it. But there's a, a building into creation, a unity of the human race, even at that point. And God could do this however he wanted to. But there's something about his purpose in that that's important. And the man, that's Adam, said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. He's been naming everything else around. I don't know if he called them hippopotamuses and horses and um, basset hounds or what he called all the creatures, the names. But he's been naming everything else. And he says, this is woman because she's taken out of man. And it speaks to the unity and oneness that would be a part of their relationship in the years that would follow. Then Genesis says, Moses records for us, and this is really, really, really important because Jesus quotes it. And it's really, really, really important because the Apostle Paul quotes it. If Moses writes it and Jesus quotes it and Paul quotes it, it must be important. If anything's important, this must be one of the, the main things that we need to get a handle on. And so Moses writes into the text, for this cause... A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, all that uh, is, is gloriously written in Genesis. Uh, it's written like beautiful poetry, but it's a true story. I take it for an absolutely true story. And what Genesis is communicating to us today and as we come to Ephesians 5, what we must know is what this is all about is God's design. Marriage is not my idea. It's not your idea. It's not anybody in our time's idea. It was old stuff in the New Testament age. Family life, as described by the Bible, is God's idea. And we must never, ever forget that. The authority for addressing our culture with answers to life issues comes from the book of Genesis and the Old Testament text and God's creation. This is God's design. That makes it profound. It makes it timeless. It makes it universal. This is not some Jew, Jewish, Hebrew, Israelite cultural thing. It is way predating that. Now Moses writes it um, and he's leading the nation of Israel, but he's writing about that which happened way before there was an Israel. He says, from the beginning, this was God's design. It's rooted in God's idea of how things ought to work. Now we come to the great topics of family life. 
I am extremely confident in our, our stuff, our plan, our book. Because I've lived long enough to look back over enough and lived around enough people with enough heartache and enough rejoicing to know our plan works. The Bible works for family life. And the alternatives really don't work very well for very long. And so we have, in God's word, as we address the specific topic of family life, we have a priceless treasure in the word of God. Your Bible. And when we come to the marriage issue, it is rooted in in, uh, an origin that comes from God himself. God says, this is the way it needs to be and it will work and it will be a blessing for you and for those around you for generations until the end of time. So it starts with God. And Genesis teaches us that. Now we skip forward to Matthew chapter 19. And the context is Jesus is being uh, interviewed or questioned by Pharisees who are not interested in marriage. They're interested in tripping up Jesus. And they came with a, a challenging question we won't get into this morning. And it says, and some of the Pharisees came to him testing him saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? for any cause at all. We can come back to Matthew 19 someday. We're not going to get into the, the different Jewish views at that time in the first century, but they, they ranged just like we do today in their understanding of that issue. And listen to Jesus' answer. He answered and said, Have you not read? Have you not read? Now the Pharisees, mostly Galileans, most of the Pharisees came from the north from Galilee, Uh, They comprised the minority party in the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, but uh, they prided themselves in being a people of the book. They took seriously the scriptures, or so they thought they did. They didn't do a very good job with a lot of them, and they added in a lot of other stuff with them. But they would have thought, yeah, we're pretty much the people of the book, like a lot of Baptist folks today. We're, we're, the, we're the book people. Other people are religious and, and touch on these subjects, but we're the Bible people. And Jesus says to them, have you not read? That's his way of saying, don't you know the scriptures? Haven't you read Moses? Don't you know about Genesis? Don't you know about creation? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's Jesus quoting Moses that I read earlier in Genesis. He says, haven't you read that, guys? You want to talk marriage issues, divorce issues? Haven't you read what the scripture says? Why are you asking me? Don't you know the book? Haven't you read about these things? Now there's a trend, and this is a rabbit trail, uh, but it's maybe an important rabbit trail. So let's chase the rabbit trail for a minute. There's a trend right now. I listened to a broadcast the other day on a Christian network about the issue. Uh, There's a trend right now circulating in American Christianity that says we need to disconnect the New Testament from the Old Testament because people find it easier to believe the New Testament than the Old Testament and they might lose their faith if they read the book of Genesis. Oh my word. Let me tell you, that is not of the Lord. That's not, the book of Genesis is part of God's word. And the New Testament quotes the Old Testament over and over and over. Profoundly. 
drawing on its information and drawing on its authority in our New Testament is rooted in the scriptures of the Old Testament. And when the New Testament writers are talking about the scriptures, they're usually saying that before most of the New Testament has even been written and they're referring to the Old Testament and they find their authority there, including with this topic. The early heresy of the Marcionites uh, decided that they didn't like any of the, the Gospels except Luke and only part of that and, and the Pauline epistles and discard everything else. We don't want to, we don't need to, we dare not go there in the modern church. Uh, so that's the word of caution for our time. I would just say from my own life experience of searching the scriptures, I value the Old Testament and it's uh, just as much a part of the word of God as the New Testament. And I value especially the book of Genesis. It is awesome. You couldn't write a fictional story that good. It's incredible, the story. And it is loaded with family life issues. And Jesus here draws on Genesis for his authority to speak to these Pharisees. Now, Jesus could say anything he want to, wanted to, and it would be authoritative because it's Jesus. But he chooses to use Old Testament scripture to say, this is the way it's been from the beginning. All the way back to the beginning. And having quoted Moses, Jesus says, consequently, they're no longer two, but one flesh. That's another whole topic, and we won't exhaust that this morning. We'll come back to that in the next couple of weeks. What therefore, Jesus says, and this is in English, but what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus says, if you want to talk marriage uh, on any of the issues, first thing you must note, it's a God thing. It's a God deal. It's God's plan. It's his design. So whatever we do with it, we must take seriously what he says about it. It's his idea. And if we do things his way, it works. If we don't do things his way, it does not work. And people that are deep in the scriptures who watch the news can see that every day. Like it's not working for them. I wonder why. You get a, a new automobile at the dealership and you ride home and everybody gets that, that guidebook. Anybody ever read one of those? A few, few guys, yeah, the engineers have read this. Uh, but most people don't, until something breaks and then they're kind of thumbing through trying to look for something. But uh, the, the scriptures are our guidebook for life in general and family life in particular. And Jesus says, haven't you read? If Jesus himself were here this morning and we started asking him a lot of questions about family life, he might say to us, come on, you 21st century Baptist, haven't you read? Haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know? Haven't you crossed paths with that in your regular reading of the scriptures? Now we jump down to the book of Ephesians to chapter 5 and Paul addresses women and wives and then he, for a short passage and then he shifts and he addresses men and husbands and then he draws it all together. So next week, we'll look at some more of that. But I just want to look at this one verse this morning because of its importance. And then it says, Ephesians 5.31, for this reason, or uh, because of this, all that he's just been writing 
uh, in Ephesians 5, like maybe from verse 21 down to 31. Because of these things, because of the, the weight of the subject, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Paul, where did you get that? Well, he got it from Moses. He got it from Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. So Moses writes it to declare that this is God's plan. God ordained this. God designed this. Jesus quotes it to say, not only did God design this, but it's, it's a big deal and it's a permanent deal and it's authoritative even from the Old Testament. And Paul comes along and he says, and let me also quote from it and tell you this is where the blessing comes. Obedience to the word of God brings blessing. Disobedience to the word of God brings heartache and things break and things don't work. We're not following the manufacturer's guide. For this reason, Paul says, because of this, man shall leave his father and his mother. And this has nothing to do with geography. And you can have multiple generations in one household, one building, and accomplish everything that he's talking about here. This is an attitude of the heart. But for this reason, a man shall transfer his primary loyalty from his father and his mother to his wife, and they will live as one. And they will have a family unit. It's God's design, God's plan, and it works. It doesn't work flawlessly because we're a sinful people. The human race is sinful. From Adam to the second coming, we are a fallen human race being redeemed in Christ, but struggling with all those issues. We live in an age of incredible technology. If I showed you uh, what I did my doctoral paper on in 1987, you would be amazed. It wasn't a, a, a clunky, plunky old typewriter, but it, it, it had a screen and had to be plugged in, but that was about all. And had little bitty tapes and it was really primitive. And today, walking around this morning out here, there are probably a hundred screens in the hands of people right now. And that's okay if you're using it for the right purposes. But we live in an incredible age, but there are no new sins. Every generation thinks they invent sin. There are no new sins. Uh, they're just different technologies that enable you to do the old sins one way or another. But all the great issues of family life are ancient. And go, you can, any major sin that impacts family life, you can find in Genesis. As you read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this, the descendants and all, all the great problems were there early on in the story. And the same redemptive God was at work in that story long ago. But the Bible says, and yes, it's appropriate to say the Bible says, uh, if that's offensive, then people need to get over that. I mean, that's, that's who we are. Uh, one good guy I heard recently saying, we just need to stop saying the Bible says because, uh, you know, millennials don't understand that. They don't relate to that. Well, th that's who we are. And as somebody who wrestled with the issues a long time ago about the validity of the scriptures, I say, read it. Have you read it yet? 
And God's Spirit will apply the, the validity and the authority of that scripture to your heart. And you'll see it. Not only is it there, it's, it's profoundly there. It's foundationally there for us. God's Word. Well, there are a lot of things that compete with that and will compete in our lives and in our hearts. And uh, you hang around church long enough, you pastor long enough, you see a lot of people uh, worried about money and material things and families unraveling over stuff. And we got more stuff than any group of people that have ever lived in any generation. You say, well, what about the what about the ancient Babylonians? They had hanging gardens. Man, they would have been amazed at what we have. Even people in the lower third or the lower fourth of our culture in America today, they would have been blown away at our prosperity and our food and our transportation and all that we have. And families still dissolve over money issues, stuff that won't be around for very long. People wrestle with trying to hold family life together because they have a confused notion of spirituality and, and what that means. They're not on the same page. They're not reading the same guidebook for what a family is supposed to be about. So there's a lot of heartache there about that. And Jesus would say, haven't you read? Don't you want to read? Now, if there's a creator God who designed life for you, don't you want to know what he said about these issues? People get mixed up because they don't uh, read Genesis and Matthew 19 and Ephesians 5 and the leave and cleave principle and, and they get married, but they don't transfer their primary loyalty to their new spouse. And I tell you, it's on both sides of the ocean. I know Africans struggling with that today. You say, oh, well, that's their culture, you know, and fathers are fathers forever, and everybody's got to submit to the patriarch. And I say, that's not biblical. It may be trendy in a solely tribe or a whatever, but that's not biblical. Our goal is not to be uh, African or American. Our goal is to be biblical. And the Bible says you leave and cleave and you transfer your primary loyalty to your new spouse and, and you establish a home and you go forward from there. But all these things compete in our hearts and in our lives to, to divide us and to sidetrack us and the culture is at stake. The souls of your children and your children's children may be at stake when we talk about these topics. But the American culture is at stake even today, as we consider these subjects. We need a spiritual awakening in America. And if we were to have the third great awakening in America today, and the historians were writing about it in there, they would probably, if they were good and objective reporters of that third great awakening, they would say it began when Christians took seriously the scriptures and found out how to build strong homes that are the, the building blocks of a society that can endure. How Shall We Then Live? Uh, was Francis Schaeffer's title for his most important book. The title came from Ezekiel, and the, the literal rendering of it is, How Can We Even Survive? How then shall we survive? We survive by doing things God's way, beginning in the home. So... In the next few weeks, we'll look at some of these scriptures and see what God does say about that. And I invite you and I encourage you 
uh, to do some reading on your own and come with an open mind and open heart and begin to pray and pray for your children and your children's children because the stakes are tremendous. 10,000 years from now, it probably won't matter whether those football players stand or kneel at the national anthem this afternoon. But 10,000 years from now, it will be tremendously important what happens at your home and in your relationships with your children and your grandchildren and your wife or your husband, your parents. These are the issues that will matter and they will matter more than you can begin to comprehend right now. Bow with me in prayer if you will, please. Father, we're grateful for your timeless word and for the authority and clarity of your word. And we want to ask you to teach us, Lord, the things that we've learned and we've learned them a long time ago and maybe forgotten. Or maybe we've never gotten around to reading or maybe we've been embarrassed about the book of Genesis or for some reason there's a gap between us and your word and we want to ask you to narrow the gap. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would apply the truth of your word to our hearts. And we pray for the families that are part of this church family that you would not only instruct us so that we'd be knowledgeable, but you'd convict us and challenge us and encourage us so that we'd be godly and that we'd raise up a new generation of those that would honor and glorify you, that this culture might be preserved, that it might be better than it's ever been before because it's grounded in your word. Uh, we confess that we've messed a lot of that up and we confess that we desperately need your intervention and we confess that uh, we will not be able to accomplish this in our own strength. And so we look to you and we intercede for our nation and seek your blessing on our church and our families. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jonathan's going to lead us in a closing song. If you'll stand where you are, if there's a public decision on your heart that you'd like to share, would you feel free to come forward as we sing? Let's stand together as we sing our hymn of invitation, Have Thine Own Way. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after you the party tonight over at the family center it's not just for kids and people with small children it's a church-wide party and in our church traditionally the people that have enjoyed those events most of the senior adults that come and watch it all and eat and talk and visit uh, so everybody's included and I hope you'll come and enjoy our time together uh, for that event Ray Hester would you pray for us as we go please